friends, welcome to episode 199 of Storyteller Conclave. This is a show all about helping you run the best tabletop role-playing game that you can, whether you're a new storyteller or dungeon master learning the craft, or an experienced storyteller looking to take your game to the next level. I'm Sarah. I'm Rob. How we doing, Rob? Uh, honestly, I'm doing okay. A little... I mean, I went from being mildly concerned about the weather, because it's Michigan and shit happens, um, to... We got a lot of rain and the temperature's dropping, but it's not dropping that much right here. But like just north of us, it's chaos. And then all of our phones went off and said, ice storm warning. Yeah, so I'm guessing the temperature's going to drop some more. But we know we have some listeners that have already lost power. We're sorry about that. We hope you'll northeast, hand in the northeast, hand in the northeast, hand in the northeast, handling this odd winter storm. Please be as safe as you can be. Um... That goes for you, Overwatch, who's in your car, possibly listening to this. So, <laughs> um, but uh, other than that, uh, not not too bad, not too bad. Yeah. So, been been had some rough sleepy nights, but the the girls have just been my my little Sphinx girls have been a little needy. So, yeah. Yeah. You know, but uh, other than that, not not bad. You? Uh no, pretty good, pretty good. Um, you know, I think I think the mental health has been doing a little bit better. Okay. Uh, the last the last couple of weeks, I've okay. just really kind of had to unplug myself from the internet for a little bit and just not be. So terminally online. Yeah, you know, no, find cute things and 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 work with them. So yeah, yeah. I, it's funny. I started um I started following some um or I should say YouTube has started to remind me of the things that I had forgotten about. Mm-hmm. Um, like the English is a series uh with Emily Blunt in it. Okay. Um, where like she's going out west and she meets up with like this, um, uh, I, I guess ex native. Like, he's no longer with the tribe. Sure, sure, uh, okay. And there's, like, a whole bunch of stuff that's going on in the story. I'm not going to get anything away there. But, I mean, I thought it was a movie. I didn't realize it was going to be a series. Oh, okay. Um, And it it's very... Gritty. Okay, okay. It feels like it's realistic West. Yeah. Uh, with a very fictional story that's mm-hmm. kind of thrown into it. And I say fictional in the sense that this is something that could happen. Sure. Um... And and I like I like the edges around it. Yeah, right now. Um, and it's it's beautifully shot and wonderful characters and and great acting. Um, and I, I've been watching clips of it and I'm like, oh, I hope I can actually watch this darn thing. And it's on Amazon Prime, and of course I can. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. my biggest problem right now is I have like Amazon Prime credit for movies and stuff, mm. and everything's available on Amazon Prime that I want to watch. So I'm like, what the heck am I going to spend this crap on? Right, right, <laughs> right. That's always the problem. And like, when am I going to spend the time to actually yeah. watch whatever it is that I now have access to? Uh, I've been going through Justified again. Oh, I got you parked back on that? <laughs> uh, well, no, I mean, Justified got me parked back on Justified. That's, I mean, I have just, brought it up a few times. You've you've brought it up a few times, but uh, that's just because you have good taste, not because you were the catalyst of me rewatching it. That's fair. Uh, that's I, fair. I didn't really need an excuse to do that. No, no, no. Um, I'm, yeah, I'm in the middle of, like, five of the, uh, five of these six seasons, and uh, I'm just reminded that Walden Goggins is just a gift to us all. <laughs> and uh, as, as the uh, uh, Boyd Crowder, probably the best villain in recent history uh yeah just great just absolutely great and uh i i would say watching that um because there's a there's a lot of really really solid writing in that show uh and i'm actually finding that it's it's very good for um kind of giving me a little bit of inspiration for my game nice um and so there there's a there's a few scenes in there where i i watched them and i was like Oh, you know, if something like that happened, oh, that actually would make total sense for my for my plot and kind of you know make a yeah. pull up the laptop, make a quick little note in yep. in my my game notes. Just yeah, have 
have this NPC show up and have this interaction happen, you know? Yeah, I I love doing that. I love when shows give little bits of inspiration or scenes where you're like, hey, I like the thought pattern that's going on in this. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's, it's almost nice to detail those things out for villainy because yeah. it gives you a different perspective of what villainy can be, how it can be. Like, I loved that about... Um, uh, about watching um, uh, different shows where the villain isn't an obvious villain. They're a true gray villain. Yeah. Like, you look at them and you're like, they're trying to do something here. Mm-hmm. Well, shit, I can't really be angry at that. Like, I, I kind of feel that way about Boyd Crowder. It's like, yeah. half the time you kind of root for him. But sort then, of. But then you're like, oh, wait, no, he's a heroin dealer and a murderer. and you Yeah. Know. Well, like, it, in The Expanse, everyone is gray. Yeah. Like, it's pretty much gray across the board because everyone is so driven. And, and they have their purposes for what they're doing. Like, it's... It is... <sighs> Jim isn't. Well, Jim's, okay, Jim's, that's Jim's fair. the pristine golden boy. That's that's true. Everyone else is gray. No, that's, I suppose that's true. I suppose that's true. A- another series that I really have to get through watching all the episodes. Yeah. Um, yeah. But what's funny is all of this that we're talking about actually applies 100% to tonight's show. Yes, it does. Because uh, we're talking about... Uh, agency in stories when there is hierarchy in organizations and justified there's all kinds of hierarchy that yeah, the absolutely. heroes have to deal with um you know you I mean when you're we're talking about a main character who's part of the u.s marshals yeah they're not even like above the law they are they the law. are the law they have a boss they have laws they have to adhere yep. to they have an assisted district attorney etc cetera, etc cetera, that's you know yeah. constantly breathing down their throat about this or that you know yeah, it's not... even the name of the show justified is mm-hmm. a reference to the inciting incident essentially of the entire series yeah. which is a shooting in which the main character shoots a bad guy uh, in a way that's a little morally gray in that he kind of backs him against a wall and forces him to draw a weapon on him by feeling threatened enough. Right. And then he's like, oh, well, you drew on me, so I get to shoot you now. Right. Um... But really, a very a very Western old trope. Very Western old trope. Often and, done by the villain. And the fact that Raylan Givens, our main character, wears a white hat yeah. through most of it. A most white of Stetson. it. Yeah. Uh, he does change, though. He does change a few times to wear a different Stetson. No, he doesn't. Not in His... season five, he hasn't. Okay. I've seen a couple scenes where he's wearing darker hats. Uh, I think there's a there's a part in the final season where like he gets a different hat because his, something happens to his white yeah. hat, but then he gets his white hat right, back right, right. or something. So, but I'm wondering yeah, if yeah, that yeah. plays up into it at all. Like they actually do some stuff there. Uh, yeah, there's some there's some well, plot development. I know with there's him. a specific he... scene where he literally drags an old man by his car through the window, cuffed. There's a lot of stuff <laughs> that Raylan does. Like that's questionably. Uh, I I mean. <laughs> I don't want. I don't want to. I don't want to give too much away here. But uh, he, uh, in the season finale of one of the seasons, essentially calls up one mob boss mm-hmm. and tells him that the other mob boss is trying to get him killed, and stands there and watches as the mob hit takes place. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that's and- actually a, a huge trope in in a lot of different series. Yeah. Yeah. Um, which I think is great. But getting back to our, our, our point here at hand is that there are a lot of agencies and groups and guilds and things and hierarchies in general that exist in all of our storytelling that we mm-hmm. have, whether it be digital gaming, whether it be tabletop gaming, uh, whether it be storytelling in general. It is super common that the heroes, the characters of our stories are, you could say, entrapped by these hierarchies. Oh, sure, sure. Um. 
And, like, we see it uh, in blunt ways, and we also see it in very kind of gray ways that the hierarchy exposes itself. Like, very blunt, Stargate. Without mm-hmm. a question, it's easy to see that yeah, it's military your... and paramilitary. Mm-hmm. You know, these people are doing scientific, but also diplomatic and sometimes straight-up hey, military. Body armors and P90s, I mean. Yeah, yeah. like it calls what it is. Uh, you've got your uh, your secret agents, mm. um, you know, things like Mission Impossible, 007 movies and whatnot like that, where, again, you've got like MI6 as your, as your backing, or yep. the, the IMF, um, you know. Uh, Tom Clancy, uh, yep. you, where you're at, what was it? Uh, he was a... Rainbow Six? Uh, yeah, Rainbow Six is a great one, but I was thinking more... Well, on... Ra- Rainbow was the name of the organization. Right. Rainbow Six was the designation of the right. character, yeah. Um, but you've got Jack Ryan's character, who is a CIA operative, you know, still working within that framework, you know? Yep. Um, you've got Space Marines, the very classic Space Marines, whether it's 40K, Alien, Starship Troopers, mm-hmm. like rank-and-file, militia... With a with sometimes some ridiculous framework. Yeah. Yep. Uh, you've got uh, uh, another big famous one, Star Trek. You got Starfleet. Oh God, yeah. Uh, you know, so it's it's less of a military organization, but you still got the rules like the Prime Directive and stuff like that that dictate uh, what you can and cannot do in interactions. Uh, you know, with with other alien races and whatnot. Yeah, very much so. Um, um, police is the other one. Dragnet. Chips, Law and Order. Oh man, Chips, you're taking me back to my childhood there. <laughs> I uh, I almost uh, you. So you wrote it. You wrote it in the show notes here. Capital C, and then lowercase H I P S. Yeah. I almost went in and, and updated edited it, it yep. so that it was spelled correctly. Yep. Because uh, Chips is uh, is short for California Highway Patrol. Yep. Um. So you you capitalize the C H and mm-hmm. P. Yep. Yep. Uh, but, uh, again, very, very tropey, very normal oh, the sure. investigators, mm-hmm. the chief, you know, kind of thing. Um, but framework nonetheless, yeah, um, you've got your elite forces where you've got a group within an organization that has maybe a bit more flexibility, but they're the ones told to go get a job done. Right. And I think a lot of, and we'll, we'll, we'll explain a little more on this later, but I think the elite forces is a very like common trope in tabletop role-playing games because of where they sit in that it is a small group of troubleshooters yeah designed to take out a very specialized and high-profile task or a group that's been hand-picked together like in the case of shadow run where like your johnson's just like hey i called you all because i think you all have the skills necessary right 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 you know and i think that's a bit like the musketeers uh, the Three Musketeers in the movie, very much that same style. Yep. Uh, Mass Effect, you you definitely brought that one up because I always forget the name of it. Uh, the Spectres, I think. Yeah. Are the I, I think that's a, I I forget what the actual designation. So if somebody in the live chat knows, um, in Mass Effect with the, the um the special ops characters mm-hmm. that uh, that that uh, Shepard is a member of, I think I think it's the Spectres. Um, but yeah, uh, I mean you're like the whole crew of the Normandy essentially yep. is yep. is like your thing Knox throws in uh judges from judge dread that's perfect yeah absolutely again uh working kind of in concert or in teams at times uh to to enforce the law yet free form still out there enforce the law i am the law i am the law (laughs) and then the the other one that you have is your shadowy organizations 
your Men in Black, your SCP, yeah, you know, you know your your Bilderbergs, you know, who are who are puppeting everything on the backside. They're still an organization. They're still an organization. I mean, yep. technically, there's a game, Paranoia, which is framed around a hard, terrible, classified organization. Whether you know the names of the fa- uh, the faceless members of the Council of Eyes, they are still watching. Correct. You. Correct. <laughs> so all of these are things that are embedded. Yeah. Um, systems, tabletop systems are notorious for including these. Um, my personal favorite, 7C, has the most tropey organizations when you look at them. Oh, yeah. Like, they're yeah, yeah. beautiful, their details are great. You have Der Kreuzruder, the, the ones who walk in the shadows, which is basically your your typical, like, we go get the scary things that, you know, other people can't handle. You know, mm-hmm. you've got Elvago, which is literally the, the mask of Zoro. It's the Zoro character who goes and saves the people, mm-hmm. you know, but it's a whole organization that's hidden within this one individual's mask. What I, and what I love about that is they've got that Spartacus thing going on yeah. of like, if, if you are, you know, operating on, like, you're not a member of Elvago. You are Elvago. Well, some of you are Elvago. Mm-hmm. You support Elvago. Some people get to wear the mask ah, and gotcha, be gotcha, the okay. Elvago, but the Elvago is everywhere. Mm-hmm. But in truth, we are all Elvago. We are all able to help the people. <laughs> Sometimes the Elvago was the Castilian terrorists we made along the that way. That is true. That yeah. is true. Um, you know, Daughters of Sophia, which is kind of a, this this uh, bloodline organization mm-hmm. uh, that all have Oracle-esque powers and ability and or support each other in that sense to to free them from the state. But it's, it, as you dig into these, they're the, the standard tropey organizations, and it's great. It's great to see it. Um, Robotech, like, straight up, has the Robotech Defense Force. Like, it's, it is the game. <laughs> like, either that or you flip sides there and you got the Zentradi, which is the technical enemy of the RDF. Um, Battletech had that in droves. Every successor state had another organization that was racked around it, including the clans. Like, every one of the clans had their organization and structure yep. that was defined. Mm-hmm. And they're all different under a common idea, you know, of conquering. Um but it goes on. Like, almost every system has this. Some were hidden within them sometimes. Uh, I remember uh, we were running, uh, uh, Sean was running uh, Waterdeep Dragon Heist for a little bit. Yeah. Um, and before that, he was actually running Princes of the Apocalypse. And uh, it's actually where Knox uh, from Knox in the Box comes from. That was oh, okay. The name of his character was in the, the All right. All Princes right. of the Apocalypse game. Um, and uh, uh, he was making kind of a you know a, a big deal to to make sure that we knew that those organizations were out there because the Forgotten Realms actually has a good handful of them. Oh yeah, um, they've got like the Harpers. Yep. Uh, the Zentarum. The Harpers, yeah. Um, the the Harpers are kind of cool. They're like yeah, uh, uh, like chaotic good vigilante like yep. anti-hero sort of guys. So they they watch the Watchmen sort of thing. Yes. Yes. Um. We, uh, the, the Zentarum, um, the, which I think are an organized crime group, uh, the Order of the Gauntlet, which yeah. are kind of like, a a bunch of helm worshippers that... I, I remember playing Baldur's Gate and always hear, I serve the flaming fist! Yeah! <laughs> it's like an audio that just would always be there. <laughs> um, but yeah, guilds. Guilds everywhere. There's always a guild. Yeah. You, I mean, if you've ever LARPed in a large group setting... There's always a guilt. Hell, you don't have to LARP. There's always, like, just in any fantasy game. Like, I mean, yeah. I, I, 
I love the Elder Scrolls for its for its little uniqueness and stuff like that, mm-hmm. but um, in a lot of ways, it's a very generic setting. Oh yeah, and just super generic fantasy fantasy gaming. Um, and they've got like the Fighters Guild, the mm-hmm. Mages Guild, yep. which you guys belong to in yep. my in my game. Um, and uh, there's also you know the Thieves Guild. Yeah, you know. But, but I you mean, see them all the time, all over the place. And the know? one we totally even forgot about putting on the list here, but I'm going to bring up to you. Merchant's Guild, yeah. Is, is uh, Vampire. Your class oh, is your, a house. Your clan. And, yeah. yeah. It's, it literally is a bloodline that's an organization. I mean, basically all all World of Darkness games were built around an organized structure yeah. like that. Because you, you had the vampire clans. Yeah, you had the Camarilla, you had the Sabbat, which is the overall one. Overall and then one. underneath yeah. it, you had each one of the clans has their rule set. Then in Mage, you had the Traditions, yep. you had the Marauders, you had the Technocracy. The, well, the Marauders were kind of a junk drawer, but yeah. You know. Uh, your werewolf tribes. Yep, yep. Um, and then... But it was all organized. Everything was organized into its slots. You could yep. be an individual, but you were still part of an organization. Changelings had kith? That sounds right. Yeah. That sounds right. But, I mean, it's it's prevalent everywhere. Yeah. So yep. uh, it's it's hard to get at. The, the question is, is why do we have them? Well, like sure. it's obvious that they exist. Even in our world today, everybody has their cliques, their guilds, things like that mm-hmm. in reality. But... Where does but, it fit in? Yeah, why why not just give your characters full yeah. agency? Why be part of an organization like this? And sometimes they're they're not. But. Um, so uh, I I will answer personally because my campaign I actually started off from literally session zero. One of my stipulations was your characters had to be a member of either the Fighters Guild or the Mages Guild. Why did you? What was your first thought on what reason why to do that? Built-in quest givers. That see, that's fantastic. It, it gave you guys a reason to all be members of the same organization, regardless of disparate pasts. Mm-hmm. Okay, um, I really don't like that sort of like Dungeons and Dragons. Like, okay, we meet in a tavern, mm-hmm. you know, and now we have to kind of like make excuses why our characters don't actually rub each other the wrong way, right? Right. And why I'm now going to risk my life to defend that guy over there. Right. Who's kind of a tool bag, but he does a lot of damage in combat, so I guess we'll let it slide. Right. Um if you've got if you've got a guild who can literally just say, Okay, we hired you all, you're not friends necessarily. You right. don't have to be friends, you're just employees right. of the same general organization. Oh, and uh there's a contract that says you four have to go do this job now. Yeah. It doesn't matter if you like each other, it doesn't matter how you met each other. Yep. Yeah. Now all four of you have to go on that quest, and boom, you've got the perfect excuse to do so. Yeah, I don't need a partner. <laughs> Plus, you know, it it sends, it, it gives you, it, it already gives you a direction. Yeah, you know, in that if you're a member of the Fighters Guild, mm-hmm. you already kind of know what you're going to be doing. It's, yeah, it says it on the tin. You're going to be fighting things. You know, that's true. If you're part of the Mages Guild, guess what? You know, going to be doing magic stuff. Exactly, handling magic. I'll give things. you three guesses what the Thieves Guild does, and the first two don't count. You know, um, so already you've kind of got that that sort of direction, that sort of purpose. You know, you kind of know what game you're going to be running if you're part of an organization like that. Agreed. I, I think for me. Um... Especially when it comes to people who want to be more involved, like in the case, like when you've got something like the Musketeers, or you've got something like, um, uh, where um, or even a military organization, it removes the need for heavy resource or minutia, um, and basically makes it quality of life a lot easier for the storytelling yeah. because they have a barracks, they have a mess hall, 
they have healers, they have, you know, whatever the, the situation may be that that's covered under that, you, you know, they have transport, mm-hmm. you know, they get regular pay. So everybody has base resources. Nobody's, you know, starving on the street or nobody's exorbitantly rich. You know, you can, you can kind of remove some things and in that, um, you you now have everyone focused on the framing of their the scope of their characters. Yeah, yeah. you know they can, oh I'm working for this. Okay, how did I get here? Why am I still here? Mm-hmm. All sit within that framework, um, and it kind of can just be there to be that guidance, to be those quest givers, to be that minutia. It doesn't have to go beyond being anything more than that dressing that wraps the group together. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, Shadow run does that really well with you basically being a organized group that gets hired for a job. Mm-hmm. It's, it's just a wrapper to keep you all around and give you a reason to keep coming back to that Johnson to get another job together. <laughs> the operative word in organized crime is organized. <laughs> that is true. That is very true. Um, for me, uh, one of the big pulls to it is, uh, because I run a very NPC centric story. Yeah. Um, I really liked the availability of other consistent NPCs that are instantaneously trustworthy. You have coworkers. Yeah. Yeah. They, exactly. They're in there with you. It's not like they're going to suddenly just turn you over. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. And you can, you, you know that you, they, they're around, they're doing other jobs. Even people who are questionable, as long as they are part of your guild, there's a level of trust. Yes. Yes. You don't know. Again, you don't necessarily have to like them. They're coworkers, right. not friends, yep. you know, unless you want them to be such. Yep. But, uh, you know, you're and you're going to have those relationships with them, but they're always going to be there, you know. And they're they're they are consistent mm-hmm. because of that consistency. Even if the players don't push hard investment, the investment is there. They're 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 forced to communicate with them because there's there's already a camaraderie. When you walk into the Fighters Guild, everybody knows you just came back from a job is going to start asking questions exactly and start connecting with you. Even if you're not friends, they're going to be friendly at some. It's the water cooler chat that yeah. comes out of that. I think the problem is I grew up watching Cheers. Yeah, <laughs> you know, I don't think, and think like Norm a... Norm was always at the bar. Like yep. I wanted a game where Norm was always going to be at the bar. You know, no, and I I honestly think that Cheers is a great way to look at our Fighters Guild. One hundred percent, it feels like Cheers it when is. we walk back in there. And in that sense, it then adds a level of investment. If mm-hmm. someone's missing, if somebody went on a job and they haven't returned yet, suddenly players start asking questions. You don't even have to put that out there because now it's six episodes in, and if Bulgriff isn't there. Where did he go? Well, he went on this job with so-and-so. Okay, when were they due back? Yesterday? Day before yesterday. What the hell I are they doing out been. there? What the hell are they yeah. doing out there? You know, cool. let's let's see if we can divine and find out where they're at. Yeah, that's probably a good idea. Somebody uh-huh. pull out the Ouija board. Let's figure this shit out, yeah, you know? Exactly. And I don't need any more plot involvement nope. than just, you know, Belgraf hasn't been, been back in a while. We thought he was out with you guys. But yeah. you guys are invested enough in that NPC because he's a mm-hmm. coworker. He's yep. someone you see around the office all the time. Exactly. That you start wondering and you ask the questions. I don't need to be like, by the way, a mystery befalls you. you yeah. Know? yeah. Or literally your boss is just like, hey, Bulgraf hasn't come back in a couple of days. We're sending you guys out as a rescue party. Right. Done. Instant job. Exactly. You know? Exactly. And it's that simple that you can just move into stuff. So it, it allows for pressure within the storyline and – Within the plot, because again, it's a trusted location. Yes, that the investment's already been there. Absolutely. 
Um, I think the, one of the other things important to note um, about organizations, I mean, I, I lean very heavily on them because they're, they're a big focus in my story. Mm-hmm. Um, however, like you, it's not necessary. No, definitely um, not. When you are part of an organization, like it doesn't have to be necessarily an oppressive force. And I think this is part of the first solution to the, um, uh, the inciting question to this entire yes. show. Uh, so this was a contributor um, uh, uh, suggestion yes. from uh, Knox in the Box, yep. um, who wanted to know what our thoughts on this so this whole thing was. And I think the first the first thing is is that your scope of your organization doesn't have to be oppressive in no, any way. Not at all. Um, you could literally scale it from it just being a quest giver mm-hmm. of like, yeah, you guys can do basically whatever you want, go off on whatever adventures you want and stuff like that. But, uh, you know, occasionally we'll tell you where to go, mm-hmm. not what to do, not how to solve the problem or anything like that. But like, hey, uh, there's a dragon. You guys need to go take care of it or whatever. Yeah. You know, um, you could kind of have it, you know, be that medium sort of uh, sort of level where it starts becoming your setting, you know, mm-hmm. um, your plot's start to revolve around it a little bit more but at the same time a lot of your quality of life sort of stuff kind of gets taken care of by it and that's i think where mindsets yeah i think between medium and light you can kind of also look at it with the with the expectation of like is your quest is your organization a job meaning it provides you some services and things like that but at the same time is just something you have to handle Mm -hmm. you know when you're not doing your adventuring or is again, it just like, the occasional suggestion of like, oh, yeah. by the way, the Harper's called and... So like Star Trek sometimes does that, mm-hmm. where it's like, oh, Starfleet is a thing that I do during my 9 to 5, but this episode is about me in the, you know, uh, dealing with a replicator problem, yeah. personally. You yeah. know, like, it's not replicating my cake right, so I have to go down and get a cake for this show, you know, or, or, or for this thing, or mm-hmm. or I'm learning to do this on, a, on another planet and dealing with this whole side thing. Yeah, the... Starfleet is still there as a resource for me if I need a shuttle to get somewhere, or I need to call a friend. Or if I need someone to pawn locks on a Troy off with for an afternoon. Exactly. Like, yeah. All of those types of things allow it to be there. Like One of my uh, one of my favorite things is in one of the games uh, that we were reading about, uh, having a job gives you certain resource leverage. Like, oh, I deliver pizzas, so therefore I have a pizza delivery vehicle. Yeah, like that's it's just a benefit of having that organization. Yeah, now, I do have to do that job on occasion, and that takes up some of my time. So, you know, if I don't focus on it on the next session, I might be, you know, I might have one level of exhaustion mm-hmm. because I, I did all this adventuring and then had to go do my damn job. And now I'm coming back to you guys tired because I've just spent, you know, the last 10 hours doing a job. I remember City of Mist had a pretty good system for that. Too. Yeah, because it was the in your alternates. You could um, you could tap it for resources, but also it would tap you for correct, resources. Correct. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I think that kind of sits in that between light and medium because it, 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 all, it is affecting how things are going. Sure, it may sure. not be part of the story, but it affects the day-to-day still at that level, but it's still helping with quality of life. It's giving some benefits. I think 7th C tends to push it to that direction, but then allows you to push it beyond that, like into Heavy, where it is an investment, like in your game. It is, to a degree, part of the story and affects the story uh, on a regular basis. Yeah, I would say, I mean, in, in Act 1, it was very much a light investment. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you occasionally got a couple jobs from them. Some of the NPCs would just drop in and talk to you occasionally, but, like, yeah. nothing huge. Um and in kind of Act Two, the recent the, the the recent part of my story now it has become heavy investment. The entire story is essentially about the Mages Guild, yeah, and what is going on there. 
Yeah. Um, I mean, alien, you are part of a military group or a corporate group going to do something. Like, that's your job. This is the job you're on. Yep. That you story know. won't exist. It becomes your linchpin. You know, right. your, your story wouldn't exist in the, in the same manner yeah. without that organization. Right. Right. And the organization drags, you know, draws on it, and the organization is affected by whatever the results sure. are. And now keep in mind, too, that all these things that we're discussing um, kind of comes with the assumption that the organization is pitted against external threats. But mm-hmm. that doesn't necessarily always have to be true. Sometimes no. your organization can be literally the plot Yeah. in that warring factions within the organization. Mm-hmm. And possibly even you versus the organization directly. White Wolf did this a lot. Could be the plot. Yeah, you know? I, I remember a lot of White Wolf games were about... White Wolf. White, White Wolf. Uh, <laughs> the White Wolf games were uh, very much about internal struggles within organization, you know, within your within the Camarilla or within your particular, um, you know, bloodline and, you know, your Primarch and how they were doing... And and whether Primogen. or not or primit was it primitive? Yes, yes Primogen. Space Marines have Primarchs. You know, well there you go. Um and whether or not they were fit and if they should be, you know, or, or were they affected by the, you know, Sabat, have they have they have we been infiltrated, you know? Mm-hmm. And things like that. But I, I think that also sits along with the like double O seven, you know, stuff where like the organization may have a mole and you have to, you know, root it out and then you find out that it's not just one mole, it's a whole part of the organization that's really gone rogue. Mm-hmm. You know, but you've been marked as part of that organization now and they think you're the rogue mole and now the organization is against you and you have to, you know, write your name. That kind of stuff is a direct plot order. You know, right, I, right, right. And right. and I like those types of stories where like the villain has turned your own resources against you effectively. And now you're fighting to try and get those resources and trust back. Um, that kind of stuff always interests me. Um, I think that was done a number of times, actually, in Star Trek, um, where you had internal strifes that made for almost more compelling story. Um, e- even on a light sense, uh, when D- Data was on trial for being a sentient being. Oh, yeah. Was a huge part of that. Yeah, absolutely. You know? Um, so that all kind of stuff. And then you've got all the stuff that Worf had to deal with and in, in uh, DS nine where like he's, he's being asked by his organization to kind of step in to handle another organization and it's political issues. Right. Right. (laughs) Because he can, you know, and it's, it's those cross things that can sometimes come into a lot more play. Or if you're a Klingon, go, go talk to them. Huh? I drink prune juice, dude. Yeah, like... <laughs> yeah. yeah. Like, do you really want me to go over there? Go over there and kick the old guy's butt and then install a new person. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah, so it was, it was it was a CIA op if I've ever seen one. <laughs> I love it. I love it. I, I love the Klingons, especially, especially in Deep Space Nine, man, when you got like... Uh... Uh, Gowron in there, as usual, but then you had, uh, was it General Martog? General Martog was an absolute, just beast. Which I, was General Martog? Martog was the really cool 
guy. Like, Galron was always that wide-eyed, like... Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. That okay. wide-eyed, insane guy. But then Martog came in, and he was just like, no, nah, I'm I'm the cool Klingon, you Yes, <laughs> that's right. Okay, okay, I'm with you now. But, uh, yeah, you had that whole war with the Dominion, and just, I, I won't get into it. I just, no, it's, gonna, there's a gonna, lot I'm gonna, I'm gonna going on I'm going to start fangirling, there. and no, that's okay. not good for anybody. Okay, so what, do the, what kind of problems do we have with agencies, then? All right. With, with, with agency within the hierarchy. So, yeah, it's it does sound like they're all wine and roses, but they do kind of come with their own complications here. Um, so, First off, uh, in certain situations, I mean, you're a grunt taking orders. Very much so. Right? So, orders are not equal to agency. They are, in fact, the opposite of agency. If somebody's telling you what to do, you're not making that decision. No. In fact, depending on how, like, uh, uh, organized you want your organization to be, you know, if, like, you're paramilitary or military, you might have a direct, you know, like... You hear, like, military people talk about how, like, you know, they break you down. They train you not to think. Mm-hmm. They train you to obey. Right. And that's, you know, that's a big thing. So you, you, they are taking, directly taking away your agency. Because agency isn't something that a low-level grunt does. Nope. We don't want you thinking. We don't no. want you weighing your options. Yeah, thinking thinking is two seconds longer than you have to live. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, uh you know, if you take that to its logical extreme, if you are part of an organization, it does remove a portion of your agency. And I think mm-hmm. that's where this whole question comes in of, like, well, it makes sense. how do you place someone within a within an organization then and still feel like you can go and be the adventurer or explorer or whatever that your character was meant to be the entire time? Mm-hmm. Um, because if you take away too much agency, that leads to railroading, and railroading is never good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I, I think there are... Multiple ways to get around this. Yeah. Number one is your your very typical, um, at least in my perspective, is the 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 uh, the the chief versus the detectives. Mm-hmm. You know, like you do this again, I'm taking your badge and your gun. You know, right, right, but, right. You know, it's but they they come out on top and the chief you know gets recognized and he gives them that stern look of like you didn't follow it by the book but you got the job done you yeah. know i'm watching you like they he pulls out the file on them and it's like 16 inches thick you know <laughs> wrapped in four rubber bands and some rope you know there's a there's a quote from the movie major league that i that i love to use oh, in this, shit, this yeah. conversation where the, the, the coach goes nice catch hayes don't ever effing do it again <laughs> exactly <laughs> Exactly. It's it's crap like that where, like, you have the grizzled old person who knows that they need them but kind of lets them get away with things because there's really – the stopgap is, is minor and or the person can talk around it. And I think that's that's very much a, uh, uh, a way to kind of handle it, mm-hmm. a, a soft white glove, if you will, that's just like, hey – there is an organization going on here. You are taking orders, but at the same time, like, eh, wacky hijinks. <laughs> like, yeah, and you got the job done, and we kind of expect that of adventurers with a capital A, and, yeah. you know. Um, um, you saw that in Critical Role, at least in the animation, the kind of feel behind, like, the the, the prince, who, or the, the, the king of the kingdom, who is just like, we're doing what with whom? <sighs> oh, Sovereign Uriel, yeah. Okay, you got it done. Thank you. <laughs> good, <laughs> like, good job. Good job <laughs> like you didn't destroy half of the country thank you so much this time right you know right. where or or even like demolition man which was terrible but at the same time like we're thawing out a guy who blew up half a city to get one guy is this really a good idea the answer is no it mm-hmm. isn't and they know it's not a good idea yeah you know but nobody else can do that right and so 
certain things are just accepted. Yeah. You know. Uh, the other the other big one um, that kind of came to mind with this is, uh, uh, you know, th- your first solution is you know be give them leniency to yeah, you know sure. follow orders broadly, give them slaps on the wrist when they you know when they kind of go in in odd sure. directions and whatnot. Um, but you can actually keep things pretty oppressive if you want and still sure. have a great story. Um, and that is when you make the orders that they're carrying the actual dilemma. Oh yeah. yeah. Um so uh one of the one of the, the the sort of guiding principles I love in in plot design is that you can never out-level a moral dilemma. No. Um a a moral crisis hits a level 20 character the same as it hits a level 1 character. Mm-hmm. Uh and so um if the orders you are told to follow are in some way flawed, mm-hmm. deeply morally flawed, like, hey, go and execute every innocent villager of this, you know, this village or whatever, you know. Uh, go commit war crimes. Yeah, uh, Avatar, we're going to blow up this dam. Why? Well, it's going gonna, it's gonna to wipe out the bad guys. Isn't that a village of normal people? Yeah, but there's also a ton of guards there, mm-hmm. Fire Nation guards there. So we're just going to kill them all because they're helping them. There are women and children and elderly who have nothing to do with this. They're Fire Nation, and we're getting rid of them. Oh, I'm part of a terrorist organization. Oh, crap. You oh, know. whoops. Yeah, yeah. whoopsie. <laughs> you know, and, and it's those kind of moments that you're like, you start checking boxes and like, am I in the right organization? <laughs> we're not a cult. We just, you know, follow the, the, uh, the, the, the sole leadership yep. of one person who, j- oh, shit, are we a cult? <laughs> yes, you're a cult. Um, but that dilemma exists it is it is dilemma it is not a challenge rating yeah you're you're gonna have to explain it and i've watched those kind of dilemmas tear groups up oh yeah like just tear groups up the moment you start asking people to show their moral fabric rather than how much damage they can do in a round Mm -hmm. suddenly like you see rifts form yeah and they're like well i don't care about these people because they're goblins. Well, yeah, they're, I was not, gonna... they're not real. Great example because that yeah. happened literally in my first game between you and another player. Yeah, I literally got into fisticuffs from between two characters because one said it's just a goblin. What are you going to do? Take it captive? Care for it? No, it's a goblin. It's vermin. Kill it. Yeah. And you were like, all life is sacred. I'm a cleric of mercy. Yeah. I should at least, I don't know, let him go or something like that. Right. And he just lopped the thing's head off right in front of right me. Right in front of me. said, there, I solved the argument. Yep. Yep. And that earned you an enemy for life, so I brought him back later as an NPC. <laughs> Which opened the dilemma can once again. Which <laughs> opened the dilemma can once again. But And that's the thing. It's it, But you don't even have to get to that level of dilemma. And that's the thing. Um, I'm, I, I kind of want to... Um, I kind of... I, I like organizations that set things in motion in a direction with dilemmas where it's a matter of uh i think let me rephrase this uh civil war did this okay uh, marvel civil war sure um because you had people who were very much for a mission following that edict and another side that was looking at it from a different angle like i don't think you see all of the p- moving components here yeah yeah yeah, yeah. And it's like it doesn't matter about those moving components we're getting a job done I don't think you think the job is the same job. Right, yes. Like, we're 
we're we're at we're not at cross purposes here, but we're definitely like we're all heading the same direction. But I think you're following someone else's footpath and 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 complete pathway. Yeah, yeah. You know, you're you're walking down a primrose path that someone else has clearly painted for yeah, you. We are not seeing the same consequences to these actions as yeah. you know. And it, it doesn't have to get to civil war scale. Just a simple act of like, do we save ourselves or sacrifice ourselves mm-hmm. is a simple dilemma. Like yeah. hey, you need to go take this forward position. Okay, uh there you know, are there people there? Um, maybe. And you move in, and there's a whole squad that's dying because it's a terrible position. Mm-hmm. Do you do you hold the position because it was your order, or do you fall back and try to make the best of a situation, save a bunch of lives, et right, etc.? Cetera, et cetera, like, you well, know? well, where do you sit on that scale? You know, or or by not holding that position, are you risking more? Like all of that falls into play, I and it's just a simple thing. Yeah, cede <laughs> the position, let the enemy have it. Yeah. it's a terrible position. position. Yeah. <laughs> <clears throat> but you're thinking, yeah. and that may not part of, be part of your organization's That's edict. true. Yeah, yeah exactly. Um, so I think that there's a lot of different ways to kind of like look at the broad agency sort of thing. Sure, sure, um, so sure. There's, there's even degrees to that. Okay, um, okay. And I, like I said, I think the broad agency, that's typically the, the way that – most campaigns go because we do always want to give our, our players that agency. Yes. I really like as, as much as, you know, we are delving an entire uh, uh, episode into this question of like, how do you retain agency in an organization? I don't, I mean, at least in my experience, I don't think it's terribly that common that, that, that this isn't essentially the typical formula of the broad agency formula. You no, know? I think it's exceptionally the common format. You see it everywhere. Having having rigid structure is not common in the least. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, it's actually, what's funny is it's more common in nonfiction. Mm-hmm. You know, you see, you know, Saving Private Ryan and, oh, sure. and those types where the order is important and you see it. Mm-hmm. And the, the people who are there following those orders are doing so within a strict structure and it's about the interpersonal stories. Yeah. Yeah. When you get to a gaming level, you're not going to get to those levels of interpersonal story and conflicts traditionally at a, at, at a story-based level. Well, I recently rewatched Saving Private Ryan and I think it's a really great example to bring up. Um, and I'm, I, I'm glad you By did because I was going to bring it up and I forgot to put it in the notes. No, uh, there's because... a lot of, and I, I brought it up for a very key reason because I have seen it. And so I kind of know where you're going to go with it. Yeah. And I, I think it's, I think it's a great example of like giving a very direct, very specific order, but then giving the group the flexibility on how to, how to handle it. Um, because the, uh, if you haven't seen Saving Private Ryan, though, it takes place during World War II. It's a historical mm-hmm. fiction, um, and there are, uh, I think, I want to say three or four brothers of the Ryan family Correct. Um, that have uh, uh, all gone to war, mm-hmm. and three out of the four of them are killed in mm-hmm. action. Yep. The government decides that losing all four is an unacceptable loss. Mm-hmm. And uh, they don't they don't want an entire generation wiped out in this uh, la- war. The last man provision. Yeah. yeah. So um, they send out a squad um, headed up by Tom Hanks's character mm-hmm. to go and rescue and bring back the final uh, the the final Ryan boy, James Ryan, mm-hmm. and um, basically Played, tell him like you're done. No by more. Brad Pitt. No, uh, Matt Damon. Matt Damon. That's right. Yeah. Played by Matt Damon. Um, and so they don't, but they don't know where he is. No. Um, the movie essentially opens on D-Day. Yeah. Uh, and so they, they make, they make beach and now they've got to find this guy. Yeah. Through other orders, discussing with people. Somewhere in France, maybe. Yeah. 
you know? Yeah. Uh, and so it's a lot of investigation. It's a lot of, like, going from unit to unit to unit. But as they're doing this, of course, they're journeying across World War Two, Nazi-occupied France, and um, running into different situations. Mm-hmm. You know, there is a situation where, you know, a guy uh, uh, is trying to rescue a little girl. Yeah. Um, and oh, that's actually Vin Diesel's character. Mm-hmm. Uh, trying to rescue a little girl, and he's like, "What? What are you? What are you doing?" He's like, mm-hmm. "Well, she reminds me of my daughter, sir, or she reminds me of my niece, or something like that." Um, and it's 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 like you you can see the storyteller putting an NPC out there, <laughs> and maybe like compelling an aspect or or uh, mm-hmm. you know a hindrance. Yep. On giving a dilemma, giving a dilemma, you yeah. know, offering a drama die or a Benny or something like that, and saying, "Hey, this person reminds you of your niece." You should really do something about that. You do know? you want to do something She's about that? She's a screaming little girl in the middle of a war zone. What are you going to do? Yeah. Well, of course I'm going to go save her. Cool. Uh, you grab her. Now what? Mm-hmm. You're still a soldier in the middle of the war zone. Yep. Uh, and now you just, boom, dice at the table. You get sniped. Yep. That was all of my hit points. Sorry, buddy. You made a decision. You made a decision, you yep. know? Yep. And so there's these, there's all these events that, that happen and they take place and these choices that get made of how they're going to do this, what they are going to do, what they aren't going to do. Yeah. Uh, there's a later part where they take out a machine gun nest. Oh yeah. 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 Um, and it was and and you, even the, the members of the unit are sitting there going like, sir, these aren't our orders. Like you reprimanded one of our other dudes for trying to do something that wasn't our orders. We were not told to go face down a machine gun nest. Right. We're here to save this Ryan dude. He's like, yeah, but if we leave it here, the next squad that happens across it is going to get cut down by it. Right. We got to do something about it. Right. You know, again, agency within their orders to do something about it. Yeah. Uh, did you see Monument Men? I did not see Monument Men. So Monument Men was a story of uh, basically a a bunch of uh, random uh, individuals of, of the art industry up uh, – art directors uh, and runners of museums okay. um, who were sent to go recover the art that the Germans were stealing Oh, and get it, get it to safety Okay, because okay, it's okay. being stolen from all the great museums over in Europe. Yeah. 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 Um, and so some of them had some military training in them. Some of them didn't. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they were all sent over with basically the orders of go find this stuff. You are, you are practically carte blanche. We'll be giving you information. Um, but you're going to have to get in contact with the French underground. You're going to have to get in contact with other groups to find out where these caches may be stored. You may be following troops in. That's up to you. Have a nice day. You yeah. Don't, you don't get like a garrison or anything. There you so go. So they're traveling all over Europe doing this, meeting with random people, splitting up at times to meet up with other brigades or other stuff. And all kinds of events occur. Yeah. Like at one point they're all in a mine and they find stashed in this mine a ton of art, but they also find a mine in the mine that one of them steps on. Oh no! And they have to make a decision, yeah, on how to handle that because there there's no demolition experts there. Yeah, like what one are you way or another, that thing's going to explode. Who's going to be on it? Right. How's it going to handle? Yeah. And there's a whole situation that occurs with that between them all, mm-hmm. and it's it's just a mine. It's just a mine. That's all it is. Yeah. But they're also not equipped for it. Yep. And that's that's the other side of things is is knowing what you can and can't do within, you know, like, yes, you are the best experts to go discover, handle, and make sure this stuff gets home. 
in the same regard, you're not all troops. Mm-hmm. You don't have high weapon skills, nor are most of you even carrying weapons, you know? Yeah. So it becomes a very challenging thing. Yeah, absolutely. Um, But I think in that you've got rationalization. Like, yeah, they are all experts in their field, so they were all given um rank Mm-hmm. To be able to to talk to other rank members versus just being you know, wandering, being told to go into the battlefield with rifle, yeah, yeah by yeah. some corporal or whatever. No, they had orders, and they had rank to be able to walk and do what they needed to do. Right. Um. Right. Elite squads kind of get that, where you're like, I'm not part of a grunt squad. I'm part of you know, um, you know, of deep eyes, a, a super elite military group that goes into the ghost zone. Yeah. You know, so. We're, we're, kind... we're the division. We're the specters. Yeah, yeah. exactly. So they're given uh, tougher things to do, but less guidance. Yep. You know, just like a this is, you know, the reason why we're doing this is because we don't have intel on this. Mm-hmm. We're expecting you guys to handle this and do threat assessment, contact us, and then we'll give you orders. Yep. Okay, yep. simple as that, you know. Um, and then you've got your looser organizations. Like, that are just out there saying, like, hey, you're part of the Explorer Society. Uh, we're going to let you know that there's some stuff out there in various places. Go do some discovery and bring some of those artifacts back to us. Yeah, as long as you're, as long as you're kind of working towards our goals, yeah. we'll lend you favor when we can. But, yeah, there's no real direct orders, no, you know, no, like that. No, no, no. Um, and then, you know, there's always the, the unattended rogue, you know, PCs uh, where... Uh, and this is kind of where the Private Ryan thing comes in. You're given the direct orders, but you've got no uh, direct enforcement mm-hmm. to those. So, like, yeah, sure, your goal is go save Private Ryan. That is your direct order. Yeah. But, like, there's no commanding officer watching over you. I, I you almost know? think that Voyager, Star Trek Voyager, was kind of that. Because they were, yeah. they were the, their mission was to go through this wormhole, or, was to do this thing. And they end up going through a wormhole and ending up on the other side of everything. Yeah, you're Starfleet, but, like, Starfleet Command is nowhere even in this quadrant. Like, you're not going to get a word from them ever. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> you're so many light years from home that you're starting to make up generation logs so you know that when the generation arrives... That they can communicate and remember all the stories. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. You know? And so I, I think that's it. Because you're still following some of the directives of your original organization because it's what gives you structure and form. Mm-hmm. But beyond that, no, you're on your own. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So at that point, the what really – where does the role of the organization sit? Uh, you know, I think like we said earlier, um, you know, they're the, – in, in these broad agency roles, um, they the organization itself takes up more of a support role. Um, so they're there to kind of pr- provide resources for you, um, provide support. Maybe uh, a if, direction. Yeah, a vector. yeah or, or guidance, yeah. you know, yeah. things like that. Um, and like you like you kind of mentioned earlier, like, you know, healing, maybe a barracks, sure. maybe some light supplies and stuff like that, you know, yeah. so that you don't have to do shopping episodes in your, exactly. uh, in your thing. You can just be like, I requisition a sword from the organization. Cool. Yep. They've got them. They've got an armory. Cool. Go. Yep. And you you, in, in some cases, I've actually seen it where, like in 7th C, the re- there's a requisition list. You can Here's items you can requisition. Yep. Like, it's right in the book. Yep. Absolutely. Um, NPCs that might guide, uh, might uh, aid the group if asked. Oh, yeah. Totally. You know, like totally. I said, you're part of an organization. That's why people organize in the first place. Yeah. You might, maybe because your group doesn't have a librarian, there's one there. Yeah, exactly. You know? Exactly. Um, and then, of course, you know, there's the setting. Um, mm-hmm. Uh. You know, your 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 organization might actually be where your story is set, like a guild hall, mm-hmm. 
um, you know, the barracks, the ship, etc. Uh, the Normandy from Mass Effect, I think, is a great example of this. Yeah, yeah. Um, because a lot of the story, a lot of the intercharacter interactions and stuff like that, I mean, obviously you're going to be, you know, making planet fall, going to strange places, talking to strange people, and doing, you know, doing heroic things and whatnot. But the one constant in all that story is the Normandy. And it is the safe space. Yeah. For for most of it. It's I'll say your that. ship that yeah. goes with you everywhere. It's essentially your roving guild hall, if you will, you know? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So it's, you know, you've you've got that going for you. And, of course, the Normandy wouldn't be there if it weren't for the organization giving it to you. Yeah, exactly. But, again, that organization can be the reason for the dilemma. Mm -hmm. You know, it is it giving you bad orders? You know, is is this or you know, are we the baddies? Is is a question that can be asked starting from you know after day six? Like you're like, hey, we went and took care of these goblins. Great, I'm so glad you took care of that. Did you guys take care of that dam? We did. Excellent. You know, a couple weeks after that, yeah, I read in the newspaper that a dam wiped out an entire village. Hmm, is that us? Did did we wipe out an entire village? Hmm. Hmm, now I'm starting to question things. Oh, all of them were diseased. Maybe that's why they were okay with that. Mm -hmm. Okay, collateral damage. All right, and then it just grows. Yeah. Until you're like, okay, I'm making terrible decisions. I'm I'm making terrible acts on someone else's decisions. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think yeah. like your your example with the Avatar thing, where you yeah, know, like oh, we're gonna we're gonna dump the entire, we're gonna blow the entire dam on them and flood the entire. Well, area. these guys yeah. hate the, these people. Hate the same people we hate. Yeah, exactly. And they're really good at taking care of it. Sure. Yeah, sure. Sounds great. Mm hmm. You know. Um, but bringing the organization into the plot doesn't necessarily make them the villain. It makes the dilemmas the villain because you keep trying to justify their actions. Yeah. Like, why are they doing this? Because they're orders. That's why you're doing this. No, no, no. I need more detail. You need to stop thinking, grunt, and get back in the field. Yeah. You know, and now you have to now, now you have to Captain America it and walk around but and it, figure out what's going on. It very much could position the or the organization as the it villain. Very much can, very um, much can, absolutely. And you know, if if absolutely not the entire organization, at least the officer giving the order. Yeah. You know, if he's if he's one of the you know he's he's that one you know bad apple. Well, not even so much that. Maybe he is working with a higher level of information than you have and can't release it. Mm -hmm. You know, I don't know. Maybe he thinks half of the organization is made up of body doubles. Okay. What information does he let out? I don't know. What What does he make people do? Mm -hmm. How does he go handle situations to see how it all works out? He's got to work from those things. And that makes him a villain or makes him counter to the players. And now now you, you, you have a natural dilemma. Yeah. And you have to think like that person as you're running those stories yep, and working through those moments and using those resources, uh, yet trying to keep trust with your players. And it's, it's challenging, but those kinds of adventures can be very rewarding. So, um, the, the whole idea of, do we save ourselves sits right within that framework? Like, do we leave the organization and not have that ability anymore? Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, you, know? you, you could just like straight up dip. On like okay, we're gonna, we're just gonna go AWOL. Like screw right. this. Clearly, you're a corrupt organization telling us to do awful things. We're leaving, you know. And then you become a team, you know. Yeah. Um. Do you you know prevent the order from being done by somebody else? Because mm -hmm. if you just leave, like nothing, nobody's stopping them from going. Okay, fine. Here's your replacements. You guys go do it. Right. You know. Um. Do you do it? 
but try to minimize the damage caused by it. Yeah, the collateral. Yeah. The, uh, try you know try to try to do it in such a way where you reduce the collateral, or you know, do you accomplish the order uh, creatively? As, as they they call it malicious compliance. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, in a way that you can say, yeah, I did it to the exact letter of your of your uh, instructions, yep. but you didn't get the outcome that you wanted. Yeah, you need to blow. You need to destroy all the crates in this base. Okay, we nuked the base. That that's not what I said. Well, we took care of the crates. Yeah, but now nobody can go there and do anything with any of the equipment that's there, either. Mm-hmm. Very well. You know. Okay. You know, or or the all, opposite. All the, yeah. All the crates are destroyed. I don't know what the problem is. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We captured all of the guys so we can interrogate them. That's not what the order was for. Well, we didn't feel that murdering all these people. We would think that the interrogation would be important. You said neutralize them. They are now militarily neutral. It's exactly exactly. <laughs> yeah. So, so uh, anyway, so yeah, so there, I think there's there's a lot of different fun ways that you can work within, without, and around mm-hmm. organizations. Uh, so I think we should get to get some questions. No, we've we got, got good questions. questions. I think we answered some of these, but I like the questions. Yeah, I really absolutely. Do. Uh, our one of our new uh, Discord members, Rook. Yeah, yeah welcome, welcome, welcome board, Rook. Yeah, uh, we, the we, listening at least, we didn't know you were out there, and now that you're part of the Discord, and anyone else can join it, please do. Uh, you can uh, shoot questions like Rook did. Yeah, right on. So, uh, first question, what are mechanical ways you can add to help players succeed at social interactions in hierarchies without just doing persuasion-type roles? Mechanical ways you can add to help players succeed at social interactions without doing persuasion type roles. So my favorite one comes out of 7th C and that's reputation. That's reputation. You just give them reputation points and they can spend the reputation points to do things. Yeah. You know, oh, uh, I have 150 reputation. Great. Um, I really don't want to have to deal with requisitioning this thing. All right. You want to spend some reputation? Sure. A minor favor will cost you 15. A major favor will cost you 25. Uh, and all it's basically you're doing is you're you're calling in that favor. Yep. And it could you tell me what that favor was that took care of it? Maybe maybe you got flowers and chocolate sent to somebody at just the right time, mm-hmm. or or you did something, but that takes care of it, and it spends that resource. It's just a resource like money in that sense. Uh, yeah. I mean, you're asking for specifically mechanical ways. I I mean, like my go-to is just to skip mechanical. Mm-hmm. Um, I like to do things on a very narrative basis, and so I don't necessarily have a point system or anything like that that I do, but what I do is I keep notes about uh, interpersonal interactions that characters have. Mm-hmm. If somebody goes out of their way to make friends with an NPC or do something nice for an NPC or something like that, I'll just make a note that that NPC holds that you know PC in favor. Yeah. And at a later point, if they are in need or something like that, Maybe that NPC just outright takes the initiative without having to even ask. Yeah. You know, that NPC might just show up and go like, hey, you did me a solid that one time and I heard you're in a, you're in a bind now. Mm-hmm. Let me get, let me do something for you. Yeah, you that's know? that's actually a favor in 7C. There's a hierarchy system that we kind of mm-hmm. went through within the court system where once you've gained favor with somebody, there's a favor there to be able to be checked. Yeah. And you can spend it in a circle around them what they have access to. Mm-hmm. So it works like reputation, but way more powerful. You yeah, can basically absolutely. just make events occur. Um, what I was, I'm going to say to this, and this is, again, this is just me, is that... You're stated to help players succeed at social interactions and hierarchies. And in my opinion, if you're using the hierarchy, don't help them. 
if their character flubs it, that creates tension within the organization. Yep. That gives you that chief who doesn't like his jokes, you know, <laughs> and, and, and thinks poorly of him so that later on it's not as easy for him to access certain things, <laughs> you know, or be seen in that format, you know? Raylan, in the interest of clarity, I will be brief. What the hell is your problem? <laughs> exactly. It's, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's moments like that that you kind of want to have those grinds and have a yeah. note that's like, yeah, this NPC doesn't mind this person, likes this person, and thinks this person's an idiot because he, you know, he disgraced his he's wife a, at a party. He's a loose cannon. He's a powder keg balance exactly. on a knife's edge. <laughs> exactly. Like, it's 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 Iceman versus Maverick. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. at no point is Iceman ever going to be okay until, like, he can justify it. Yeah. Because Iceman is doing everything by the book. Mm-hmm. He's following all the lines, and Maverick is literally the loose cannon who is going to get someone killed and does. It's so funny that, like, their their call signs literally are their tropes. No, it's... That is blatantly obvious. That's so funny, yeah. You know? Goose gets blown out of the sky. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Uh, by a maverick. You know? And it's, all those things sit in there, but I think I think you're, you're missing out on a very valuable uh, resource there as a storyteller. Yeah. By... Uh, by having them succeed, by by finding ways to help them to succeed, but I think if you had a character who, uh, who might you might want to have some other resources with, like you think that they should be gaining some level of reputation with different people, be, even though that they're not very vocal or something like that, then reputation is a great way. Drama is a great way. Mm-hmm. Gaining favor through taking care of things is a way to do that. Yeah. So yeah. I, I think all of those fit in there. So uh, the only, the only thing I will, I will add to the conversation before we move on to the next question is that uh, the, the only reason I don't like adding mechanical systems is because uh, the moment you add a mechanical system, your players will start thinking about it mechanically, or at least many of them will. Um, and if they start thinking about it mechanically, they will start thinking of ways to manipulate the mechanics. Yes. Uh, how how can I build my reputation number so that I can expend this many points to do this fun thing that exactly. is on your list? Rather than just, hey, you know, this person and I have been have been getting it on pretty well. You know, let's let me let me go see if 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 I ask them, will they do this thing for me? Even if they don't like you, but that you've done enough. They may be okay with it. Yeah, and to to me, that's just far more flexible, and it's system agnostic. Yep. You know, you don't have to worry about making. You know, what is what are your persuasion roles? You know, et cetera, et cetera. It's just like, look, this person's friendly. This other person likes them. They'll do one mm-hmm. favor. You know. Yep. And in that way, you're also not punishing non-social characters. Correct. You know, if you have like the big dumb fighter that doesn't have a per- high persuasion role, but they've just got a heart of gold. They're going to be the, 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 the himbo golden retriever of the group, mm-hmm. regardless of whether or not they have a, uh, a high persuasion role or not, you know? And if that person says, hey, guys, I need help with this, they're going to be like, of course we're going to help you. Yeah. You know? Yeah, Knox, exactly. Don't let them min-max human relationships. Yes, yes, yeah. yes, yes, yes. Yeah, exactly. very much true. Uh, you want to do the next one? Yeah, sure. Uh, do you have any advice on how to mechanically track characters' reputations slash infamy within these hierarchies, i.e. let them know where they stand without revealing hidden info, info on their influences? Um Again, I'm going to say I don't like mechanical ways of going about hierarchy, but I think if you're going to do it, a rep system yep. 
is a good way to do it. I, just like a ranking. D and D has the 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 minus neutral plus kind of system mm-hmm. of 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 things, and I think that's okay. But I don't think it it does it. But I can see where this would be necessary for for large groups that may not have a good a good i mean i will say not large groups let me rephrase that for players who may not have a good handing handle on social interaction or 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 even storytellers who may not be able to get across that social mm-hmm. uh eloquence yeah, of yeah, the yeah. situation yeah so having those npc cards like we use is a great way to do it and you could just make a note on there of where they sit mm-hmm. you know this person is positive toward your group you know, but has a negative feeling about this player. Be, you know, and you don't even have to go into detail about that. You can keep that on your side. Sure. But they will know that when they come by, you know, when that player is around, they might sneer at them. Mm-hmm. Or they might, you know, may just ignore their con- whatever they're saying. You know. <laughs> might make catty eyes at you from across the exactly. room. Exactly. And I think as a storyteller, having having those notes for you of what they're doing um, is good. But being able to set in front of your group so that they can look at at that character sheet, the, the the quick sheet that they have of maybe the description, you know, their their class and then, you know, or uh, where they stand and then how they feel about the group and then just update that as necessary. Mm-hmm. I think that's a good way of handling that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, and, and for reputation, you know, uh, within hierarchies and so that, like you said, especially if they don't have the uh, social acumen to speak, uh, you know, with that silver tongue that their character should have. Yeah. You know, um, uh, I think, you know, we, we've had pretty good success with just kind of just dis- taking that discussion out of character mm-hmm. and just saying, what is it precisely? What is the idea your silver tongued character is trying to yep. relate? Yep. What emotions are you trying to evoke from this? Right. Just let them tell you plainly out of character without having to try to word it in character. Mm-hmm. You know, like we've said earlier, you, you don't expect the warrior in your group to no actual sword play. Mm-hmm. They have a stat on their character sheet that says they're good at swords. I'm and attacking. They roll, and they roll a die and they say, I'm attacking them. And if it's a high roll, we say, okay, you attacked them very good. Yeah, and, and sometimes it's very just well. as simple as like, Did you mean, do you mean to kill him? Oh, no. Okay, so you're wounding him. Yeah. Or you're knocking him out. It's that kind of conversation level that cool, you want to have. Cool, we get it. Okay, well, what sort of emotions are you trying to evoke with your speech? Right. What direction are you taking to get there? Exactly. And then you can roll persuasion dice or whatever you feel is necessary. Yep. But, um, you know, that that way you can kind of get around that, like, diff- that, that gulf between your player's knowledge and your character's knowledge. Yeah, one of my, uh, one of my favorite roles that I was reading about was someone was saying, like, hey... I'm coming into this place, um, and my character is intimidated. Like, I have a high intimidate. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, I really want to set everyone on edge. Like, I want everyone in there to kind of, to, to, to have a, to take a step down. Okay. That's going to be a pretty serious role to try and pull that off. Okay. I'm asking the road to, rogue to dress me up. What? I want to go in looking hot. Okay. Oh, so you're going to Jessica Rabbit. Oh, you're going to intimidate like a race car. Correct. Gotcha, yes. And that's a thing. Yeah. But you don't always think the same direction. So having to, the conversation outside allows them to do that, and then you, you now have a new direction to go. That was Charlotte from the uh, Skin Grad Thieves Guild. Yep. Very much so. Intimidating like a race car. I yep. literally made that note. <laughs> yeah, and and it's but you don't always think about that, mm-hmm. and sometimes the players can't always explain it. So taking yep. a step outside in meta and being like, "This is what I'm really trying to do," because 
my character sheet says I'm intimidating. Yeah. Okay, well, how do you want to intimidate? Well, I don't want to be angry at everyone. You don't have to be angry to be intimidating. Yeah, exactly. You know? Exactly. That, that, is, that is not something Intimidation is about presence. Yeah, which which way is it to the beach? It's that way. Ooh. You know? Ooh, okay, okay. okay. I, I didn't realize I was getting tickets to the gun show. Exactly, yeah. exactly. So, um, one more question. Lastly, do you have any advice on helping players adjust to power dynamics that they are unfamiliar to them? I.e., uh, a hierarchy where showing respect is a key element, or a power dynamic where honor or shame is primary? Uh, I think it's very important, if you're going to place characters into a hierarchy like that, mm -hmm. make sure that you are taking the time, especially during, excuse me, uh, say like a session zero, if mm -hmm. you're going to start off with them in that hierarchy like I did, um, that you are explaining at least the overview of how yep. that organization is expected to ask. Never throw them in blind and just be like, oh, well, that's part of the organization. I'm going to punish you for not knowing the rules I never yep. told you, you know? Um, and I would say, you know, the, the other thing is show them examples of it, yes. show them NPCs acting in those ways and getting the respect that they're due for adhering to those rules. And then suddenly, you know, your players will know that, you know, bowing, you know, putting a, a fist over their heart and saying, Kaitiake yeah. is how you greet honored members of your group or something like that, you know? Yeah. Or you watch as like, even your enemy as they set down their blade put the blade toward them yeah. so that, you know, that they're not exposing it. They place it down and they take two steps forward, leaving it behind them. Yeah. Out of reach. Exactly. You, you know, know, it's, it's things, it's little things like that, mm -hmm. you know? Um, and it, it's having honor and shame be displayed by NPCs is a great way to do it. Um, having, uh, you know, the typical, like you're going in to see the chief and he's currently yelling at somebody. Okay, what are they talking about? Well, he's talking about how he didn't follow orders and uh, is getting demoted back down to doing parking meter duty for failing to do his paperwork. Mm -hmm. And he kicks him out of his office and they're like, you know, uh, this group's into here. Send those idiots in here. Like, I ain't got time for this crap today. Yeah, you exactly. Know? And and it's so, you know, number one, that he's already on edge. Mm -hmm. Number two, he follows the book, you know, and wants you to be there. So like. Be at attention, be yep. ready, and don't talk. And I would say, you know, the the uh, the last part of that would be le be you know lenient at first, at least. Um, you know, always make their first their first offense a, a slap on the wrist. Never be like, well, you didn't stringently adhere to these rules, so right. You know, suddenly all of your privileges are taken away and your reputation is zeroed out or something. Like or that. or even have another NPC there be like, dude, next time you go and see him, you may not want to. You might want to dress up a little or even have someone who cares for them be like, hey, hey, before you go in there, straighten their ties, brush them off. Remember, be respectful. Don't say another damn word. Yeah, you know, <laughs> and then, you know, the chief is then yelling at them going, you know, next time you, you know, you, you chuckles, you know, uh, yeah. chuckleheads to do pull this sort of stunt. I'm, I'm knocking you back down to private. Is that clear? Now get out of my office. Exactly. And nothing happens. Right. But they know the consequence. They know what caused it. Mm -hmm. And now they can adhere to the rules in the future. Um, and, yeah. and proceed from there, you know, yep, yep. watch if you, if you need it, watch movies that trope what you're looking to do. Yeah. 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 Um, I, I would say the, uh, lastly, uh, proportional response yes. is a big one. Yep. Like a minor slip up should not warrant ejection from a group. 
Right. You know. Demerits. Demerits, you know, et cetera, et cetera. It should make sure that if it's a minor, you know, a slip of the tongue, like I didn't use the correct honorific for you, that it's a, uh, that it's a, a bit of side eye. Yeah. You know, and and also if they're justifying themselves to a way that you feel like as the care as the storyteller, like, yeah, I guess that is kind of justified. You can always have to be like, damn, damn it. You know? Yeah. <laughs> you know, if I had one more inch on you and it's again, they're they're upset, but they can't do anything about it. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. those kind of things. Yeah. So uh, Nevim's got some questions. Uh, so he says, "How do you uh, how how do you not crush characters under hierarchies?" Uh, we this was largely the main the, the sort of main thrust. I, th- I think a lot of times we're not crushing anybody under hierarchies. Um, it, it just give, make sure you're leaving agency for your, for your characters. Yeah, it, make it make an active decision with your group in session zero, unless your story is about the hierarchy, mm-hmm. in which it needs to be there at all times surrounding them. Yeah. Um, Make a decision on where you want it to be. Is it just for resources and quality of life? Mm-hmm. Is it there to be extra quests? Is it there to be support and guidance? What, what do they want to see out of this organization? Yeah. Uh, because, again, it doesn't matter what that organization is. Watch any number of, of movies, TV shows. You will see that organizations have very different weight. Understand that any organization, that the heavier-handed your organization is, the more your players are going to chafe under it. Yeah. And that is okay if chafing under it is the effect that you're looking for. Yeah, I mean, Law and Order is a great example of a hierarchy that is exceptionally static and mm-hmm. has to be followed, and yet it's barely noticed. It is the framework by which the story much f- must flow. Well, sure, in the criminal justice system. You know. Right. <laughs> no, but that's that's the thing. It literally paints that out. But you don't hear about the chief busting some of the detectives for how they got their evidence. Mm-hmm. Sometimes the DA comes back and I'm like, we can't even use this now. Nice job, guys. Yeah. You know, that's where the busting comes, but nobody's losing their job. Right, right. Nobody's getting demoted. You know, it's it's a, it sits around them. It surrounds them and is what they're clothed in and how they have to, how they should be acting. But in truth, it's just sitting there as is is dressing. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that's beautiful that you you can you can do that within a story. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, and then he asks, uh, how do we use hierarchies as a quest giver? Any number of ways, honestly. Uh, yeah, there's there's a lot of ways. Um, I, I think I, I've had great success with, um, uh, you know, be, be direct about it. Yes. Like, hey, uh, a job came in, a uh, contract came in, and uh, I've pulled you guys to fulfill this contract. Yeah, whatever, I think in that sense, know. the way I would look at it is make sure that they are aware of who the quest giver is. Mm-hmm. There should always be the quest giver, very obvious, very direct, someone of guidance, yep. someone of resource, um, often uh, someone of knowledge. Mm-hmm. If you have those elements available to them and they know which one is which, yeah, then they, they, they know the flow. Yeah, absolutely. So, and keep it static. Don't have your your knowledge person suddenly give them a quest mm-hmm. that throws the game off completely. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah, no, but I think it's I think it's pretty straightforward. Um, uh, all right. So JJNX mm-hmm. uh, asks: uh, Organizations may go through positive and negative changes that affect its members, mm-hmm. including the PCs, in some way. These could be changes in leadership, policy, or even culture of the organization. How would you handle these types of changes in game, both mechanically and narratively? This is my favorite question this week. This I, one, this one. This is a very up. big question, 
But uh, I'm going to start out simple. Uh-huh. I'm going I'm to start, and then I'm going to let you run because I know you got a lot to talk about. Yeah. Here. So for me, I will say narratively, mm-hmm. um, if you are, if your, if your organization sits at a medium to high level, meaning it is involved in the plot, uh, either as a direct quest giver and in in engaging with it, um, my personal opinion is either make the kind of hierarchy changes and things a hard move. So it's very obvious part of the story. Oh, yeah. Or make it the point of the story, meaning like when the players come in, this has just occurred. Or at the end of your story, the change is because of the players kind of a thing. So that they can decide if they want to shift. Because if you do shifts within the story that doesn't meet the beats of the story trip-ups can happen. Your your players won't understand what's going on. Mm-hmm. It needs to be obvious. It needs to be impactful. Everyone needs to be part of it. You can have events that lead up, but just like any other plot cycle, you know, you can have you, you know, you have them getting drawn in, you have the rise, you have the false, and then the fall of the story. That all fits within the hierarchy. Yes, it does. So, uh, so everything you just said was gold. I 100% agree. I've got no notes. 10 of 10. Um, the only thing I will I will add on is that um, uh, in a lot of stories, your organizations are going to serve as a backdrop. Mm-hmm. Um, they are going to dictate a lot of the mood, a lot of the flow of the story, a lot of the theme. Yeah. Um, and so when you do have a massive change, whether it be for positive or negative within your organization, that comes with it a very heavy shift in the theme. Yes. Yes. Um, and so you can instantly turn an organization that is a a safe haven, that is a, a place of comfort mm-hmm. um, and, and of support into a cold, inhospitable, we don't want to be here and we're questioning all of our life choices. You know, it will make that shift just by saying old boss is out, new boss is in, and yep. new boss is a bad guy. Yep. And suddenly you have changed the entire mood of your organization. Yep. Um, and so understand that it has that impact and do that on purpose. Drive to that with purpose. Drive as well. to that with purpose. Um, For instance, I, I'm just going to say in, 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 in saying drive to that in purpose is don't suddenly make the perfect boss who's just been kind of a tough guy, but doing all the right things suddenly now be a, a an evil villain and turn on everybody. Right. That right, is, right, 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 that right. is not a aha moment. Your players won't like that at all. Well, not only that, but I, I, I mean, I mean in a broader thematic sense, do and, it more deliberately. So like if you, uh, if you want, you know, after a certain point, you want your story to move from a lighthearted romp to a more dark, gritty story of like, Okay, I want to show the stakes have been upped, so mm-hmm. I kind of want to like rip their safety blanket out from under them and put them out in the cold, you know, sort mm-hmm. of thing. If you want that sort of a deliberate shift in your in the theme of your story, upsetting the organization of you know of of their hierarchy is a great way to do that. Three Musketeers, you Precisely, had Rush yes. or, 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 or Rushford uh, step forward as now the head lieutenant of. Uh, of the musketeers who are all disbanded mm-hmm. because now it's just the royal guard that he controls yeah under the king and you're like uh what do you mean we're disbanded mm-hmm. they're disbanded there's nobody here anymore go home yep you know oh the war effort needs you why don't you head that way yeah yeah exactly and now suddenly you're like what 
what the heck? Like, the, we were musketeers, like, literally 15 minutes ago. We had a purpose. We had a mm-hmm. goal. We had yep. a brotherhood with our fellow musketeers. And now we were, we're taking care of problems. We're what? We're vagrants. We even we even know what's going on. Wait a second. A, yeah. a great historical example of this um, that sits in my mind is the uh, the the Meiji Restoration era of uh, of Japan. Um, okay. You see this in the movie The Last Samurai. Ah, yes. Now, white savior complex, you know, aside yes. uh, for, for that for that movie, it takes place during that particular situation Correct. where the uh, the Tokugawa government was overthrown by the Meiji government. The Meiji government decided they wanted to modernize Japan and mm-hmm. bring them into the, the uh, 19th century at the time um, and get rid of the old ways. And with them, the samurai just kind of got tossed out with the trash. They got outlawed. Mm-hmm. Oh, you can't carry a sword around now and uh, being a samurai is illegal. Sorry. Well, what the hell are we supposed to do now? I don't know. That sounds like a you problem, not a me problem. Yeah. You should probably join the army. Yeah. And so you just had a bunch of people just going like, okay, what? Oh, okay. I mean, I didn't work for you. I worked for this guy. Right. And he kind of followed you, sort of. Yeah. So now there's all sorts of questions. There's all sorts of uncertainty. The rug has been ripped out from under us. And now we need to redefine our existence in this vacuum left behind by this broad organizational change at very high levels, mm-hmm. you know, and you have the ability to do that and it shifts everything. Yep. So understand a, that it has that power B that, uh, you can do that deliberately, uh, to, to yeah. change your whole campaign. Uh, yeah. Knox says that, uh, pirates are kind of similar and I tend to agree to, to a point is that, um, a lot of times the, the, the Royal navies of various places, uh, made decisions that their captains did not necessarily agree with. And often they're, I will call them in spirit captains, mm-hmm. uh, people who owned ships that were, that were uh, merchant military ships. Uh, and they didn't agree with the state. And they were like, fine, I'm going to go do this on my own and get some other people to join me on that venture. And they did. Yep. You know, and again, the rug got pulled out from underneath them in in more ways than one, and it turns everything on a dime. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I agree with that. Um, mechanically, um, I think you're you run some risks when you when you start removing mechanics. I think um, it's the la- once you start reducing resources uh, mechanically from them, you no longer have a safe place. Like in the case of the musketeers, yeah. the musketeers' headquarters is gone. You don't have access to horses. You're, you're using your own reputation. And points to try and get what you need. Right. Right. That, that healer is no longer there. That right. tavern is no longer um, there. My that armory is no longer there. Right. My concern with doing that in any story is that these people, in some cases, specifically with factions, people are investing points into them. Mm-hmm. So they've bought, they've spent character points to be part of a faction to have certain resources that come out of that. And to remove those resources now kind of discounts their character a little bit right within the storyline in situations like that um i would always want to make sure that um they receive something equivalent in exchange if it's truly gone because there is a a mechanical investiture of character points to it okay so if what they were granted was access to say like a library and we said that it was the guild library well if the guild is no longer there or something like that you need to come up with a contrivance where they've they've either, you know, 
squirreled away enough of their own books that they've kind of now got their own private library that works like that library resource mechanically. Or maybe somebody else takes pity on them and says, hey, I have my own private collection. I like what you do. I want to continue to sponsor you. You can use my library. Don't, don't worry about the guild. That's, you know? that, that's kind of where they – and that's where you can make shifts – into private or or secreted away stuff yes. and even like yes. even their home base you can be like well you can't stay there but you know of four secret hu- secret hideouts yes uh, that are available that you guys can go to there's an Where, old safe house on the south side you can convert into a hideout yeah. right and like other musketeers or other members of your group might go there as well mm-hmm. so you may be able to see some of the old people and work with them. Yeah. And that's where you can bring back some of those traditional NPCs that you had. Yeah, exactly. And see things from their perspective and add extra points to the conversation. And that way, too, you know, you've got your thematic shift mm-hmm. without completely, like, screwing over your players. Yep, yep, you know? exactly, so. exactly. Uh, all right, I feel pretty good about those answers. No, I think it was a, I think that was good. Um, so next week's topic, uh, we are going up to, we are, uh, it is, <laughs> it is our 200th episode and our storyteller 202. Yeah. We got close, real close. It could have been a 202 on a 202. But... 200 level class on a 200, uh, on a 200 episode. Yeah. So we are talking about the player trap and this is where, and the reason why we use the word player trap, cause really it's character plots, but Everybody knows you're you're playing your character, mm-hmm. and inevitably you're coming through. Yep your your character your character gets in uh, entanglements. Mm-hmm. Sometimes those entanglements come back and bite them on the rear. Um, yep. And this kind of comes back to the what I said earlier today. You can't out level a moral dilemma. This is a bit about what we're talking about next time. So. You can find us on Twitter at ST underscore Conclave, on Instagram at ST underscore Conclave. Listen to us live every Wednesday night at 7 p.m. Eastern Time on MixLR.com slash Storyteller dash Conclave. And uh, join us on our Discord. Uh, welcome to our new uh, our, our newest uh, Discord member, Rook. Thank you for shooting us some questions. Feel free to go ahead and join the Discord yourself and shoot Please us some do. questions. We'll be more than happy to answer them here on the air. You can find that link on our Twitter as well as our website, StorytellerConclave.com. We'd like to thank our Patreon members who help us out every single month with our show, um, especially our name members, Knox in the Box, Subject, Sam, the Arcane Asylum, Sparkle Motion Veteran, Kulavu, and Sean. We really do appreciate all your support. Our pre-show music is by Arcane Anthems. Uh, you can find them at patreon.com slash arcane anthems. Our intro music is Beyond the Warriors by Geefrog. You can find that at geefrog.bandcamp.com or on Google Music. And our outro music, which you're hearing right now, is Only Our Footprints in the Sand by Midair Machine. You can find that at freemusicarchive.org. And a big shout out, as always, to our friends, Vic, er, to our families, Vicky and Sean. Thank, Thank you so you. much for loving and supporting <laughs> us. All of our friends who've sat with us at our tables over these years to give us these great stories to share with you. And you, every single one of our listeners, we love you guys so Love much. everybody. Good, Good night. night.